Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. In the book of Acts, the ninth chapter. I want to read something to you. Um, I had this one, I woke up with this one phrase the other day, and I was like, man, what am I? I'm just on a journey. I'm telling you, I know that I'm on a journey, and I'm on a good journey with the Lord right now um, with some things that I feel like God is just trying to put into my heart. And um, so this morning, I want to talk about the heart of a pioneer. It's basically what I want to want to talk about. And I thought, you know, that when Rick Pino came the last time, his flights were delayed. I mean, we were trying to hang out in here and wait on him, I mean, till in the midnight hour and he leaves and you know he could have sung any song but he closed out with the song The Pioneer and I felt like it was very prophetic I I remember when he wrote that song and I remember listening to that song one time when I was on my way to Alma from my house over there and I cried all the way to the church you know uh, it's, it's just a phenomenal song but um, I think it was about a month ago that Jamie sent me a text and um, it was like a whole book that he had when I opened up, you know. And it was from actually the third chapter of The Lion and the Lamb by uh, Brendan Mann. And we're quoting his books a lot here lately, but he's a phenomenal author. And I tell you what, that Catholic guy's taught me more about God than I've ever learned from any Pentecostal I've listened to. And, um, and so um, I feel like we're in a season where God's trying to change our image of who we thought he was and how he is. You okay? And so, but I know that there's some things that the Lord put in me at a young age that, um, I mean, when I, when I got it, I got it. I got the real thing. I mean, it has burnt me for over 20 years. When I get, when I talk about the flame of God or when I talk, when I, like this morning when I was, I'm going to play a little clip. And I mean, I just begin to weep, but I mean, there's not a day of my life that goes by that I don't want to be with him, friend. I don't know what, I don't know Christianity that's on Wednesday and Sunday. I'm not saying that I've got a, I've got a hundred faults and failures, but I am passionate about the Lord. And I think that should be for every believer. I mean, it is, if you were, if you are a believer without passion, I mean, I don't understand that. I've never had that type of Christian life. And I've, I've never served a God who was a long distance, who were away from me. I've always had a vision of God that he is with me to help me in everything. You're with me now. And so there's a lot of the church has put, a lot of religion has put God off in the distance. Even we heard songs, you know, God is watching us from a distance. Jeremiah 23, 23 says, for we know that God is not a God afar off, but he is a God of near. Come on, somebody. He was with the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. He was the cloud by day and the fire by night. He was the water flowing from the rock. You with me now? 
That's always been my vision of God is he, he's with me and he's for me. But I have had a lot where I tried to measure up for God. I felt like I would preach good if I spent a lot of time, hours in study, a lot of hours in prayer. And if I spent that whole week fasting, I would preach better. But let me be honest with you. There's times that I haven't done either of those things and the Lord allowed me to hit it out of the park. And what I've come to realize, it's all him to start with. I just got to put it in the hopper. You with me now? He's the one that feeds the people. So Psalms 81.10 says, open your mouth and I'll fill it. If you got it in there, it'll come out. So I want to read. I, I got this book here and I'll show you the cover and you'll, and you'll laugh at it. And um, so I asked Catherine, I said, where's my book at? And she handed me a book. And you see it? Can you see? Book. Don't look at it. Don't, don't I won't hold it up too long. She said, you reading a children's book? I said, man, don't let that cover deceive you. I mean, there's some meat in there that choke most 50-year-old believers. You with me? But it's been phenomenal. So I want to read you. This morning I want to talk about, I want to talk about the heart of the pioneer. And I want to read you it, uh, this right here. It's, um, I'm going to read you about two and a half pages out of the book, and I'll preach, okay? From Brennan Manning's book, The Lion and the Lamb. This is chapter 3, Freedom Under the Word. He says, there are two visions of life, two kinds of people. The first see life as a possession to be carefully guarded. They are called settlers. The second see life as a wild, fantastic, explosive gifts. They are called pioneers. These two types give, give rise to two kinds of theology, settler theology and pioneer theology. <clears throat> the first kind, settler theology, is an attempt to answer all the questions, define and housebreak some sort of supreme being, establish the status quo on golden tablets and cinemascope. Pioneer theology is an attempt to talk about what it means to receive the strange gift of life the Wild West is the setting for both theologies. And well, let me just say this. Even though I believe that I've always been a pioneer, I believe this. Before COVID, I could see a lot of settler stuff even happening in me and in here. And I'm telling you, I'm so thankful that God upset. I'm not saying he's the author of COVID, but I'm so thankful he upset that we hit Nakin's threshing floor. We got to be forced to change. How I many knows change is a good thing? If you don't adapt to change, you're not growing anymore. And so we can't fear change. We got we to welcome it and adapt to it. So listen to this. In settler theology, the church is the courthouse. It is the center of town life. The old stone structure dominates the town square. Windows are small. And this makes things dark inside. When the courthouse walls... Records are kept uh, uh, in the courthouse. Within the courthouse walls, records are kept, taxes collected, trials held for bad guys. The courthouse is the settler's symbol of law and order, stability, and most important, security. The mayor's office is on the top floor. His eagle eye ferrets out the smallest details of town life. In pioneer theology, the church is the covered wagon. It is a house on wheels, always on the move. 
help me, Lord. The covered wagon is where the pioneers eat, sleep, fight, love, and die. In this season, I can't do nothing but cry either. But listen, it bears the marks of life and movement. It, it creaks. It's scarred with arrows, bandaged with belling wire. The covered wagon is always where the action is. It moves towards the future. It doesn't bother to glorify its own ruts. The old wagon isn't comfortable, but the pioneers don't mind. They're more into adventure than comfort. See, I used to think revival was about putting the church on the map. Man, I would be on the Elijah list and my name would be known. But now what I've found is revival, true revival, is about what God's doing in the people, not what God's doing in the building. And as long as God's moving in the people, come on, somebody, who cares what's happening in the building? This is a building made with man's hands. Come on, somebody. God said, no, you're not. I don't dwell in temple made with man's hands, but I dwell. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I believe a true move of God is what's happening on the inside of you. When I look at people like Chrissy Stone, who's been through some storms, but she's still standing. Tara been through the storms, but she's still standing. That is what revival is, friend, what God is doing in the people. And so, in settler theology, God is the mayor. He is a sight to behold. Dressed like a dude from back east, he lounges in an overstuffed chair in his, in his uh, courthouse office. He keeps the blinds drawn. No one sees him or knows him directly. But since they're in order in the town, who can deny he is there? The mayor, the mayor is predictable and always on schedule. Settlers fear the mayor, but look to him to clear the payroll and keep things going. Peace and quiet are the mayor's main concerns. That's why he sends the sheriff to check on the pioneers who ride into town. Listen to this. In pioneer theology, God is a trail boss. He's rough and rugged, full of life. This will bother some people how he writes this, but he says he chews tobacco and drinks straight whiskey. The trail boss lives, eats, sleeps, and fights with his people. Their well-being is his concern. Without him, the wagon wouldn't move. Oh, God, we need you, Lord. Without him, the wagon wouldn't move. Living as a free man would be impossible. The trail boss often gets down in the mud with the pioneers to help push the wagon, which often gets stuck. He prods the pioneers when they get soft and want to turn back. His first is his fist is an expression of his concern. In, in settler theology, Jesus is the sheriff. He's the guy who's sent by the mayor to enforce the rules. He wears a white hat, drinks milk, outdraws the bad guys. The sheriff decides 
who is thrown into jail, there's a saying in town that goes, those who believe that the mayor sent the sheriff and followed the rules, they won't stay in boot heel when it comes their time. In pioneer theology, Jesus is the scout. He rides ahead to find out which way the pioneers should go. He lives all the dangers of the trail. Come on, somebody. The scout suffers every hardship as attacked by the Indians. Through his words and action, he reveals the true intentions of the trail boss. By looking at the scout, those on the trail learn what it means to be a pioneer. In settler theology, the Holy Spirit is the saloon girl. Her job is to comfort the settlers. They come to her when they feel lonely or when life gets dull or dangerous. She tickles them under the chin and makes everything okay again. The saloon girl squeals to the sheriff when someone starts disturbing the peace. But in pioneer theology, the Holy Spirit is the buffalo hunter. In his book, he writes where William Branham is quoting this author, and in this book, he paints a picture of the Holy Spirit in pioneer theology as a man named Wild Red. And Wild Red rides an untamed buffalo called Pentecost. Let me tell you what's happened to the church. The church is 2,000 years old. Think about it. The church is 2,000 years old, and yet only 17% of the world is Christian. We have failed. And the reason why we have failed is because we have domesticated the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. I don't want to go to church where it's a predictable environment when I know that worship's going to be for 35 minutes and the preacher's going to preach some goosebumps message for the next 30 minutes and then we're going to go home and life is unchanged. I love unpredictable environments. Come on, somebody. And I believe God is standing at the door of the church saying, let Wild Red come in and let him do what he wants to do, church. Come on, somebody. It may not be pretty. It may not, it may not sell books. It may not put us on the map, but it'll change the lives of individuals, friend. The, the Holy Spirit is a buffalo hunter he rides along with the covered wagon and he furnishes fresh meat for the pioneers without it they would die the buffalo hunter is a strange character sort of a wild man the pioneers can never tell what he will do next I'm going to just read it the way he wrote it I'm going to get somebody going to send me something anyhow about the tobacco stuff he scares the hell out of settlers. He has a big black gun that goes off like a cannon. He rides into town on Sunday to shake up the settlers. You see, every Sunday morning, the settlers have a little ice cream party in the courthouse. With the gun in hand, the buffalo hunter sneaks up to one of the courthouse windows. He fires a tremendous blast, rattles the whole courthouse. Men jump out of their skin. Women scream. Dogs bark, chuckling to himself. The buffalo hunter rides back to the wagon train, shooting up the town as he goes. In settler theology, the Christian is the settler. He fears the open, unknown frontier. His concern is to stay on good terms with the mayor and keep out of the sheriff's way. Safety first is his motto. To him, the courthouse is a symbol of security, peace, order, happiness. He keeps his money in the bank. The banker is his best friend. The settler never misses an ice cream party. In pioneer theology, the Christian is the pioneer. He is the man daring, hungry for new life. He rides hard, knows how to use a gun. 
when necessary. The pioneer feels sorry for the settlers and tries to tell them the joy and fulfillment of life on the trail. He dies with his boots on. In settler theology, the clergyman is a banker. Within his vault are locked the values of the town. He is highly respected man. He has a gun, keeps it hidden in his desk. He feels that he and the sheriff have a lot in common. After all, they're both protected. They they both protect the bank. In pioneer theology, the clergyman is the cook. He doesn't furnish the meat. He just dishes up what the buffalo hunter provides. Oh, how our churches would change in this community if we just learned to live that. I'm just a simple cook, friend. Are you with me now? The Holy Ghost is the one that's cooking up the food. We simply serve what he's got. Are you with me now? He just dishes up what the buffalo hunter provides. This is how he supports the movement of the wagon. He never confuses his job with that of the trail ball scout or buffalo hunter. He sees himself as just another pioneer who has learned to cook. The cook's job is to help the pioneers pioneer. In settler theology, faith is trusting in the safety of the town, obeying the laws, keeping your nose clean, behaving, believing the mayor is in the courthouse. In pioneer theology, faith is the spirit of adventure. The readiness to move out, to risk everything on the trail. Faith is obedience to the restless voice of the trail boss. In settler theology, sin is breaking one of the town's ordinance. In pioneer theology, sin is wanting to turn back. I'm almost done. In settler theology, salvation is living close to home and hanging around the courthouse. In pioneer theology, salvation is being more afraid of sterile town life than of death on the trail. Salvation is joy at the thought of another day to push on into the unknown. It is untrusting the trail boss and following his scout while living on the meat provided by the buffalo hunter. I got one more paragraph I want to read you. I once asked a group of seniors, graduating seniors from a Catholic college, at this point, what does it mean to you to be a Christian? Their answers were similar in content. content. I reduced them down to a single paragraph that read, to be a Christian, I must go to mass on Sunday. I can't eat meat on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. I can't practice birth control, get a divorce, have an abortion, or see an X-rated movie. For many people in the church, Christianity is not good news. The gospel is not the glad tidings of freedom and salvation proclaimed by Jesus Christ, but a rigid code of do's and don'ts, a tedious moralizing, a list of minimum requirements for avoiding the pains of hell. In the gospel of John, the one theme and the only theme with multiple variations is, do we know Jesus? To know him is life, everything else fades into the darkness I want to talk for the remainder of the time that obviously that's really good if you want to get get the get western theology is the book that he quoted it's a great read won't even take you two hours to read it, it took me about an hour and a half sat down to read the whole thing it's short you found Acts chapter 9 you know, I, I, one of the things that gets me is I remember when I accepted the call to preach. And he's a great leader, phenomenal leader, pastors a great church today. I, was, I just happened to be in his church and we were talking about the call on my life and we were talking about just the future. I'm 18, 19 years old. And he said, you know, you should, 
you should get in this denomination right here. Has great retirement. Has great benefits. And basically what we just went over was my pay package. And I knew from the get-go that that wasn't me because I could never be confined in the lines of what their picture of was a, was, was a minister of the gospel. So I had a time in my younger years because even as Stanton sometimes, what am I? I still might not know a lot of it. He said, well, you're Pentecostal, but you're prophetic. He said, I've never seen nobody marry that Pentecostal prophetic edge. I do got strong Pentecostal roots and heritage, and you hear that come out of me. I've always hollered ever since the Lord called me. I don't holler just as a style. It just, sometimes I holler like that. But I've always had a push and a desire to go deeper, go higher. You with me? I think that should be the goal of every Christian. One thing about pioneering is because we live with the wagon trail, the wagon gets rutted sometimes, and sometimes it gets stuck. So we need God the Father to come help us. Come on, somebody. Get the wagon unstuck, and I've had the wagon stuck plenty of times. But I'll never forget when I was in my 20s, Pastor Dale prophesying over me and saying that God put the heart of a pioneer in me and all these different things. And so I told you last week we got a, we purchased a, a different boat and it burnt the transmission up my truck. By God's grace and mercy, we got something that could pull it now. And I was cleaning out my truck and I found a CD. And, it, and, and the CD was dated back to 2013. And I popped the CD in. And it was the night that Dale installed me in this church. He's talking about inheritance. He's talking about the dream that he had in 1991. And he's praying that dream over my life. And so I guess this is just the way I see it. That we just still on the same trail, y'all. We just still on the same trail. Some of us the same people, some of us new people. We just all just joined the trail. But there's one thing about the trail is I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt that God desires to do something in this region. And what he's desiring to do in this region is not build some fancy church. But he's trying to build a people in this region. Come on, somebody. And I live with the with the with the with the conviction that when it's all said and done, when we're looking at my tombstone, I want my mark where I was at. Come on, somebody. I want to be able to say, not that he preached good. Come on, somebody. Because that would, if all you could say is I preached good, that would be that would be an ultimate slap in my face. I want my children to be able to say, my dad was tender like the Father in heaven. Come on, somebody. My dad had a prayer life, was unmatched like anybody I've ever seen. He had passion for what he believed in. But what I want to do is train a people to be able to make a mark on where you're at. You don't have a secular job, friend. God puts you where he puts you for a reason, and that is to make a difference. And one of the things that I feel like God has placed in my heart is to tear down the image of what we think about church. Church is a place that we just gather. Come on, somebody. The Sunday gathering is a place where we all come together as family to worship the God, worship God, get strengthened. But listen here, we're it really counts is when you walk out of the doors of this place. When you see every day, every day as an adventure with God. Every day. 
and here's the thing. We've taught, and we, and I always honor the fivefold. I believe God created the fivefold, their gifts of Christ, to the church. Not granny votes of men, but they are gifts of Christ to the church. We all agree with that, Ephesians 4. According to that, I am a gift given by God to this church. Stanton is a gift given by God to this church. But here's what we got to do is you got to see that you're just as in the race as I am. Because in pioneer theology, the bishop or the man at the front is down with the people living in pioneer life. That's why I've never put my pulpit on the stage to say I'm better than anybody in this room. I'm figuring it out just like you are. You know, my wife's not here this morning. They're starting school. And she's broke down a couple of times. And she called me this morning and she said, I want you to pray for me. I said, what do you want me to pray about? <laughs> this was her exact thing to me. This is how I know we got a long ways to go. She said, she's going to get me when I get home. But she said, she, she's got some things she's got to get done for in the morning. But she said, I feel like a dog because I'm not in there. She said, if I, was, if I was better, I'd have been in there in the church worshiping the Lord. First of all, let me give you a newsflash. God's not limited to the building. And what you got to see, taking care of your children is worship unto the Lord. Come on, somebody. We've limited God to the few songs that we think are worship songs. Man, when I'm on the front of that boat catching a monster trout, I'm worshiping Yahweh, saying thank God for your goodness. Come on, somebody. If you like to golf, when you're on the course, that's worship unto the Lord. The Bible says pray without ceasing. How do you stay in a, how do you stay in a constant state of prayer? Your life becomes the prayer unto Yahweh. Come on, somebody. And it's everything we do. God's trying to get us to the place where we live, move, and have our being in Him. Everything that we do. So, she said I should be a better pastor's wife. First of all, I, she don't get me. If we depended on John and Catherine, we in a bad place in here. But if we are dependent on the Holy Spirit, we will be a success in this room. Nobody in here is dependent on me. You're dependent on God. All right. Man, I've done messed this all up. Acts chapter 9. I want to read you this. Before I read you this, I'll go back. So I was thinking about it. In 2018, when the Lord told me to leave, leave the security of a well into six-figure salary, that was not an easy decision. Folks that had the security of the courthouse were saying, do it. <laughs> I mean, no slide. When somebody's scared to jump off the high dive, it's easy when you're down there on the side of the pool. Do it. <laughs> you're not the one up there on the end of the board. 
And that was, a, I believe, the, one of the things that God was using to get us out in, to get me out into the water of the unknown, to just trust him. Man, there was such oil on that song this morning, on that one part where he says that water still flows from the rock. I don't understand, but I trust. God's trying to get us into that place of trust. Are you with me now? Trusting that he's going to provide, like when the church when the church shrinks in numbers. But yet, I mean, is God, what, what I found to be true, that God is still God whether how many people's in here. That does not determine success. Are you with me now? We've got to tear down a lot of things that we've built up. And so, just thinking about it, and even thinking about now, <clears throat> I'm be very truthful. I don't need anything. I could prop my feet up at 41 years old, as some seasoned preachers would say, hey, you got a good congregation that love you? You got a decent pay package? You got a great pay package? Just prop your feet up. But inside of me, there's something that says there's got to be more to this. You know, Moses, he wouldn't let them get too, he wouldn't let them get too familiar with the territory. Because his whole focus was on that cloud. And when that cloud began to move, he began to pack the tent up. Either you coming, but we got to go. Are you with me now? And so this is, let's just read this. During those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So he went to ask the high priest and requested a letter of authorization that he could take to the Jewish leaders. I'm in verse 1, reading out of the Passion Translation in Damascus, requesting their cooperation in finding and arresting any who were followers of the way. Saul wanted to capture all of the believers. He wanted to capture all of the believers he found, both men and women, and drag them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So he obtained the authorization and left for Damascus. Just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul were stunned and speechless, for they heard a heavenly voice, but he could see no one. Saul replied, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the victorious, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you, where you will be told what you are to do. Saul stood to his feet. And even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind. So the men had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus for three days. Don't eat or drink. He didn't eat or drink and couldn't see a thing. Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling his name Ananias. Yes, Lord, Ananias answered. The Lord said, go at once to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw in a supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. But Lord, Ananias replied, many have told me about his terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. The Lord Yahweh answered him, arise and go. I've chosen this man, look at this, to be my special messenger. 
he will be brought before kings before many before many nations and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am and I will show him how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me let me just stop here I think the greatest thing that I could say is I understand this is all I, I think I think sometimes we start out because if you would ask me at 21 to write the vision down I remember Pastor Dale used to have us we had to fill out papers every year whatever where we were at and then you had to go take your wife because you had to fill out papers about your marriage you know what I'm saying and we just sometimes you know we have people put on oh man our marriage is so awesome it's just unbelievable blissful you know and then we're going through a divorce within a year you know what I'm saying so you had to go take your wife so she'd call you out if you was lying on there but it had on there to write your vision out. And man, I would write visions of shaking the world. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was all, it was out there. You know what I'm saying? But what I've learned now is I'm not saying that a lot of that wasn't the Lord, but probably a lot of I was writing down, well, we all agree, probably when we start out, a lot of what we're writing down is what we want to see. But how many knows that God, there's only one vision? And it's Matthew chapter 28. And we're just cameo roles in that vision. Are you with me now? And so what God, but, but here's the thing. The Bible says that all things, Colossians 1.16, I believe it says, all things were created for him and in him. The reason why you're here on the earth is for Jesus. Come on, y'all. All things was created by him and for him, and you're the reason why he's here. So your life, God wants your life to be for Jesus. God wants your business to be for Jesus. God wants your nursing career to be for Jesus. God wants your teaching career to be for Jesus. God wants your truck driving to be for Jesus. In Him all things were made for and for Him. So in this, the visions had to adjust. And how many knows this, that Habakkuk says, write the vision down. Why is there instruction to write it down? Because you're going to forget the vision. I believe Paul jumped up from this after he heard Ananias tell him and after he had seen the light from heaven and he heard that he was going before kings and before a lot of people. I guarantee you by day two, he had forgot that he was going to suffer many things for his passion. And it's in the suffering state when things are, are, are when things are, don't happen as soon as we think they should that we begin to doubt what the vision was but here's where God lit up his heart he had a vision and his vision was this he was trained by Gamaliel the great rabbi and his vision was to kill and destroy Christians but then another vision came come on somebody how many knows that you could be in this room and you like like Matt already quoted that Brennan he was going to school to be a, a journalist but something happened. Why he was at the University of Missouri, God came to him and he felt like he was called into the ministry. And he goes to, to seminary. And then he kneels. He's going to give up on seminary. And he kneels and God comes to him in a vision and he begins to fill his heart. So I'm just saying, well, me, my heart is always, I, I think about when, I know I'm not doing this justice. The Lord's going to help me at the end. I got something that'll be powerful at the end. I always try to hit a 
That's how you do preach. You can struggle all the way through it, but if you can hit it at the end, you got it. You know what I'm saying? You got to hit it at the end. So don't come out blazing. You know what I'm saying? Save the best guns for it to be at the very end. They'll forget all the struggle. Kind of like we was raised up in church and people start saying, y'all pray for me because they fit to sing. You better be praying because they can't sing. It's fixing to be bad. And then they're going to get off the stage and tell you, well, nothing me, that's all Jesus. If that's the case, we're in a mess. That was mostly you and a little bit of God. Very little. <laughs> the Bible says without vision, the people cast off restraints and run wild. What constrains you and keeps you in the race and keeps the pioneer going is the vision that God instills in their heart. Are you with me? And I believe at the very start that maybe I remember when I was in my early 20s, I had a lot of vision. And then when I when and really in 2006, when God really began to visit me in a fresh way and we launched a church, that's where my vision began to shift. But the other day when I got the CD, I didn't even have a CD player in, in my truck, so I had to go get Stanton's. And I said, I want you to listen to this, because I, uh, I knew there was a prophecy on there. And I forgot all about that one from Dale. But when I heard his voice on there saying to me about the inheritance, I was just reminded that God, we're still, we, we just still trekking the ground. You know what I'm saying? Man, it's been stuck a thousand times. I've drove it in the ditch on the right and drove it in the ditch on the left. But you are committed. Are you with me now? You're committed to a people. And you know what? That's just where we live at. Why? I got to preach where we live. You know what? Bill Johnson is pioneering something in Redding, California. Karen Wheaton is pioneering something in Hamilton, Alabama, now Cleveland, Tennessee. We just all got to realize that, hey, we can't live with the settler life, the settler life is you just come to church and, and you, you just just come on Sundays and just hang out at the church and keep up with the law. Man, there's no life in that. Where there is life is saying, God, what, what am I here for? What do you want me to do? I was at a table last night and we were talking. We were talking about, we were talking about business and money. And I said, do you realize over the next three years, there will be billions of dollars of wealth transferred. Why not us? Why not me? Why not into my hands? Come on, somebody. Would you rather Bill Gates have it or the kingdom of God have it? Come on. So he starts out on his journey. Now look at this. I want to I read Acts chapter 20. Go to Acts chapter 21. I'm almost done. Verse 1, after, after we tore ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed a direct course from the island of Kos and on the next day to the island of Rhodes. And there, and from there, Patera. There we found a ship that was crossing over to Syria. So we went aboard and sailed away. After we, after we sighted Cyprus and sailed south of it, we docked at Tyre and Syre, and where, where the ship unloaded its cargo. When we were ashore, we found a number of believers and stayed with them for a week. They prophesied to Paul repeatedly, warning him by the Holy Spirit not to set foot into Jerusalem. When it was time for us to leave and be on our way, every, everyone, men and women and children, accompanied us 
walked of the city down to the beach after we knelt in the sand and prayed together. We kissed one another and said our goodbyes and boarded the ship while the believers went back to their homes. Look at him. Look at this. They're prophesying to him saying, if you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to end good for you. Man, just just look. You've, you've accomplished something. Man, look at the things that have happened. Man, you've been arrested and put in jail. And y'all sang songs at midnight and the jailhouse shook and you freed everybody in that jailhouse and brought revival. Man, God has done amazing things. Prop your feet up, man. Why are you pushing ahead? Because I'm telling you, here's the thing. You know what the most dangerous place is for the pioneer? He calls it in this book, it's a canyon. And it's where those voices start playing in your ear. You chose the wrong path. Because, see, I didn't hear that when I was in my 20s. But now that I'm in my 40s, and I look at my kids and my family, I'm thinking, man, woo, I might have chose the wrong path. See, that's the voice that comes to put fear in the pioneer to say you're on the wrong path. Stop. Come on, y'all. History's not going to remember the settlers. History will remember the pioneers. It will remember the people that stood, stepped out on great risk. If God don't come through, we're going down. That is the ones that history will write about. Not the ones that stayed in the comfort of the bank lines. You can't catch good fish at the edge of the banks. Come on. We got up at 3.30 yesterday morning left, and we are about four and a half miles out trying to, because, because of the, the water's just hot, and the fish are in a little deep water. We've seen these storms coming offshore. You know what I'm saying? And about, finally, we made a decision. We better get out of there. You know what I'm saying? Marine warning was going off on the phone. I said, hey, we, Grant said, let's go. So we left, you know. But anyhow, there was this boat, wasn't it, buddy, coming straight out of the storm. Well, we was going to see if we was going to wait it out for a minute. He never let off. He was coming straight in. You know what I'm saying? But why would you go? I was thinking, why would you have done that with a forecast that it was going to be great? Why, what makes a man What makes a man go out to that deep water? Because he wants to catch a big fish. You with me? And so, the most dangerous place for the pioneer is when he gets in that when he gets in that canyon and he starts hearing that voice. It starts echoing off the walls. You know what I'm saying? Here, here's where Paul's at. You know what I'm saying? He, he's got people around him saying, hey man, I know, I know you got a vision from God. I know, I know what God's entrusted to you, but you don't understand. We're prophesying to you, telling you what your destiny is. If you go into Jerusalem, it is not going to be good. So now Paul moves on. He kisses them, loves on them, goes. And he says, from Tyre we sailed on to the town of Echo. If you, if you are a Greek scholar or a Bible scholar, you know I'm messing all this up, okay? This is South Georgia Bible language, okay? You with me? <laughs> and, and greeted the believers there with peace. We stayed with them for a day. Then we went on to Caesarea, and we stayed for several days in the home of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven deacons and the father of four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Look how much the emphasis is on the prophetic in this chapter so far. Everybody's prophesying. Look at this. And during our stay several days, Abacus, a prophet from Judea, came to visit us. As a prophetic gesture, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and his feet 
with it. And as he prophesied, the Holy Spirit says, the one who owns this belt will be tied in this same way by the Jews. And they will hand him over to those who are not Jews. When we heard this, both we and the believers of Caesarea begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul replied, why do you cry and break my heart with your tears? Do you not know that I'm prepared not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the wonder of the name of the Lord Jesus? Because we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said nothing more except may the will of the Lord be done. I will say this, if we're ever going to be successful at pioneering anything in this region, we have got to be a people that are willing to put our hands to the plow and not turn around that is the greatest that is the greatest obstacle to the pioneer the voice that says turn back how many knows when anything changes when we left the industrial when we left the agricultural and moved into the industrial revolution when Henry Ford created that car he said I had this amount of horsepower what was he saying my car is better than 10 15 20 30 horses But here's the thing, society and the the systems were in place to support what? Horses. You go get your horseshoes changed, go get your horse watered and fed. Nobody had a gas station. So what he had to wait, he had to wait for the culture around him to catch on. We've had it opposite church. We, we have not infiltrated the culture and the culture is telling the church what to do. God is going to rechange. I'm telling you, this is changing rapidly. Does anybody believe what I'm preaching in this room? This is changing rapidly and the church is going to begin to influence culture and we're going to be called cults and all kind of stuff because we don't look like the culture around us. It's going to take some time. Listen, but I'm telling you this, what God was saying, I'm done with the horse and wagon. I'm building cars and ships now and if you want to get into what I'm doing, the seasons have changed and every time an epic season changes, it takes time for the church to get on board. God began to move with apostles and prophets in the late eight in the early 80s friend and the church has yet to fully recognize that in the south so don't go to Jerusalem stay here if you go to Jerusalem it is not going to be good Acts chapter 26 y'all right I'm almost done we won't get out of here before 12 o'clock I'm prophesying right now Unless Wild Red comes in here and busts the service up, then I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I long for the day Wild Red just comes in here and just rips it loose. Does anybody else? <laughs> I mean, I really want to go to the country club if they ever open it up. Let's pray that COVID gets out of here so the country club can open back up to eat. My gosh, in Jesus' name. I'm tired of let me quit. I'm getting, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> but I want to go in a restaurant. I do want to go in a restaurant. This would be a prayer of mine. This is a secret prayer of mine. I want to go in a restaurant and some of our church people in there and people look and say, what's wrong with them? I was in a restaurant one night. Boy, got so hammered by God. I mean, he looked like he was beyond drunk food just falling. I mean, he's tore up on God. People just staring at him. What's wrong with him? I say he's intoxicated by the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, sure he is. Well, just because just because he ain't showed wild red, ain't showed up at your courthouse, don't mean he ain't in the wagon somewhere. Come on, y'all. All right. Look at this. Now Paul's captured. I ain't got time. I've got to dice this up. Jump in here. Now he's captured. He's getting a chance to defend his case. Look at what he's fixing to tell them. This is how I believe that every pioneer has got to leave the earth. Right here. So you see, King Agrippa, verse 19, I have not been disobedient to what, the reve- what was revealed to me by heaven. The King James says, I've, been not, I've not been disobedient concerning the heavenly vision. Friend, you got to understand there's a heavenly vision for your life. Do we all agree with that in this room? Now let's finish right here with Hebrews chapter 11. This will make you feel good right here. If this won't make you shout, I don't think Wild Red can even prompt you. I was talking about Wild Red this morning because I actually got up really early and woke Catherine up. And uh, she was like, what are you talking about? I said, I'll read it to you when you get home. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more can I say to convince you for there is not enough time to tell you of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened on to their promise and pulled them into reality. It was faith that shut the mouth of lions, put out the power of a raging fire, and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. I'm reading about a pioneer's church that's gone before us. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that we're compassed about by these people that are looking onward. Come on now. And they're looking to see if we're going to become settlers or we're going to be pioneers. Look at this. Their faith fastened on to their promises and pulled them into reality. See, a settler just hears a prophecy and thinks it's going to happen. But the pioneer wars with the prophecy. Come on, somebody. They're constantly reminding God what he said. You remember even like Danny talking about when he thought he was going to have to get rid of the building and everything else, and he goes for counsel. Tom looks at him and said, did God say it? And he said, yes. He said, well, there's nothing else to counsel. Get back over there. How many knows if God said it? Listen, the pioneer reminds him of what he says. God, you say it. God, you said, every time I thought we were going under here, I mean, I had a snorkel kid on everything I had, just trying to suck a little bit. I said, God, I never asked to go to Sparks. You asked me to go to Sparks. Come on, somebody. And wherever he leads, he feeds. Where he guides, he provides. And every time I thought I was going under, water began to flow from the rock in that wilderness. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. If he told you to launch that business, friend, I'm telling you, against all odds, you're going to make it. If you've got God, you've got everything you need. Joseph was standing there naked on the auction block, and it says he was successful because God was with him. Pioneers understand that God is with them. Settlers, God is up in behind the blinds in the top office somewhere who is very, who is, who is, 
only seen occasionally, and he's off in the distance. But the pioneer fears not the trail because he knows that the ones that make the crooked place straight, come on somebody, and the high places level is right there with him. I had to remind myself. They pulled their promises into reality. It was faith that they shut the mouth of lions, put out the power of raging fire, and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. Although weak, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in the battle, pulling armies from another realm into battle. Look at the way the passion is reading this, writing this. Pulling armies from another realm into battle array. Faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. Yet it was faith that enabled others to endure great, uh, great atrocities. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured, and they didn't deny their faith in order to be freed because they longed for a more honorable and glorious resurrection. Others were mocked and experienced in the most severe beating with whips. They were in chains and in prison. Some of these faith champions were brutally killed by stoning, being sewn in two or slaughtered by the sword. These lived in faith as they went about wearing goat skins and sheep skins for clothing. They lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions and they were cruelly mistreated. They wandered the earth living in the desert wilderness and in caves on barren mountains. On barren mountain and the holes in the earth. Truly, the world was not even worthy of them, not even realizing who they were. See, in the settler, in the settler community, we read things like this. We read about God's general. We read about the great people of faith, and, and that's just heralded and just applauded as that's how God was back then. But in the pioneer community, all of these stories are fuel for the fire. Come on, friend. These were the true heroes, commended for their faith, yet they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised to them. But God, look at your neighbor and say, but God has invited us. He's invited me to live in something better than what they had, faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to the finished perfection alongside of us. Every pioneer that has made this journey is in the grandstand of heaven rooting you on, saying, come on, get it there. Now I think this. People may mock. People may say this. But at the end of the day, all I care about and all I want if I go into the earth and that's where we're all going. You know, the leading cause of death is birth. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, to live that is appointed unto man to die, and then the judgment. So all of us has got a cough and chase us. People, that ain't good preaching. It's just the Bible. What am I saying? I'm telling you, you got to learn how to live every day. And I told Grant, I said, I want you to be able to say, Daddy put it all on the line. If he had to put the back 40 up for us to get it, he did. But we live every day. Church, I just want I feel like God's saying to us, we just got to live the adventure. The kingdom of God is adventurous. It's, it's a journey. 
Church is not meant to just come hang out on a pew and hear, hear me preach the gospel or any other great, any other preacher preach the gospel. But I want to show you a clip. I want to show you a clip of some of a pioneer that's going to hit a stage with thousands of people there. And when they had the opportunity to say anything, they reach out. And I want to show you this clip right here. It's very powerful. I've wept many tears over this clip. I just want to show it to you right here. Go to 940 where I, where I had it. All right, watch this. Obedience. Just consider the invitation that's been given to a generation to follow the voice of the great shepherd. It's a land far beyond, and I just, I just consider this song, Lindy. I love you guys. I love this team. I love what you stand for. But this morning, I just I feel in my spirit burdened to give a call that is so much more than singing a chorus when you're surrounded by thousands of people that love Jesus. This morning, far more than an emotional response, I want to invite you to the greatest story that has ever been written, and it's a story, and it started in the Oh, 
stop her and let her play. Stand up right here. We're gonna we're gonna pray and go home. I might have sounded a little choppy this morning, but I'm just trying to communicate what I feel like the Lord is saying. I just feel like He wants to fill our heart with His vision, His heart. Um, you know that I talk about don't quit and the reason why I preach that because I've wanted to quit more times and I can tell you pioneer life gets tough sometimes it does but you get to see what others never dare see it was Peter, James and John that climbed the mountain with the Lord and saw the Mount of Transfiguration it was those three that went in Jairus' house and saw his daughter raised from the dead You know what I learned about what Pastor Dale was speaking to me in 2013 about the dream? It wasn't, it was never just his dream. It was God's dream. You with me? And you know what? 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when I'm long gone, somebody else is going to pick up God's dream. And they're going to run the wagon train with it. But just like I live with my vision, you got to live with your vision. And your vision's got to prod you, whether that's business or whatever. You know, when I've been, the reason why I've been on the whole fear thing, Terry, remember this night, we were, we were at my, we were down in the cabin and, Fiaz was in there and he looked over at me and he was talking about me going to Pakistan and he was talking about oh it's 21 hour flight I meet you in Dubai so I mean you talking about I mean you want me to go to Atlanta and go to Dubai I mean who going with me I knew someone was going to go with me but as he sat there and talked the paler I got and I'm telling you before God I had to go into the bathroom and put water over my face that's not pioneering. The pioneer says, let's go. Come on, y'all. So the other day, I grabbed my passport. And I said, God, whatever you desire, hey, if you can flow water from the rock in sparks, you can protect me in the air. You can protect me on the long flight. But what Fios is talking about flying in, you know, is that economy. I do thank the Lord that I got some people around me. Then I'm going to fly in a little cubicle. I'll give the dentist to give me something. <laughs> and I'll be wake up in Dubai. Oh, he provides, church. What you got to understand is God cares about all the little details of your life. Father, I pray this morning. Let's just pray this as a family. God, fill our heart with your dream. God, I've been after my dream long enough. I just want your dream, Lord.
fill my heart with your dream. Here am I. Put the yes in my heart for obedience. That's all you're looking for, God. You're not looking for anything. You're not looking for me to build any mass of nothing. You're just looking for obedience. All you ask of me is just, hey, John, change when I say change. Move when I say move. That's all he's asking for out of you. He just wants to fill your heart with his vision. And he just wants you with the heart of a pioneer, with the courage to step out on it and go. Father, I bless his people today. In the name of the Lord. Father, I thank you that you haven't forgotten us. I remember when I was 25, 24, I've been in this lie that God had forgotten me. I mean, I was watched everybody else like shoot out there like secretary or, and then I mean I was just like left behind but God showed me in that season they never forgot me I'm just telling you the things that I'm talking about church I live with the conviction in my heart that I will probably never see what I believe in my heart but I believe that if I can pioneer this wagon what's in my heart the things I'm not talking about a church or nothing I don't believe God planted me here for Cornerstone. I believe God planted me here for a region. For a region. I don't believe the call of God on this church has ever been, ever been for a church. It's been for a region. Look at the leaders that you've had. That tells you right there. I just want to move the, I just want to be able to have the grace to move it further down the line. This week, what we did, I was going to tell you this before we close, and Rusty can verify this because we went to, someone went to his school. We're going to do the elementary school this week. But we were able to partner with a business here in town that's just recently started not too long. That, uh, And we were able to give these. It was a box of produce and fruit. And every teacher at the elementary school got one. I think we did like 175 boxes thus far. And... I was telling Rusty that a person of 20-something years of education said that was the nicest gift they had ever received. It was just a box of produce and fruit, you know what I'm saying? And Rusty said, man, I've did steak dinners and everything else. But he said these people are going crazy over these boxes of fruit. And all that is is a gift from our church. You know what I'm saying? We're not trying to, we're not trying to get nobody here. We just want to let them know, hey, we with you. And I wrote a letter and put in all of those boxes, hey, this whole community stands behind you. I didn't say Cornerstone stands behind you. I said this whole community stands behind you. There's several churches praying for the teachers this morning. Catherine was, had days, several pastors been going by the schools to pray for them. Church, I believe our schools is going to be all right. We're going to get these first two legs under us, and we're going to kill the giant of fear, and we're going to move on in this nation. Come on, somebody. You believe it? <laughs> so I guess we're going to receive tithes and offerings. Got that. I got mine if you don't. <laughs> so let's pray over the gift this morning. Father, we just thank you for the blessing of the Lord upon our lives. We thank you for the call of God on our lives. 
And Father, I pray this morning that you would bless this offering to the upbuilding of your kingdom. Father, I pray that this offering this morning and that the finances, God, will be used to move the kingdom of God into this region. And Father, we thank you for providing in the mighty name of Jesus. I just, hey, before we give our tithes, I want to share this with you. I, I just got to share it. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. In 2017, things got hard, really hard. Anybody's ever been through hard? It got hard. And I was reminded one day when I was praying of a word that Pastor Dale received when he was at this church at the very beginning of this church. And the word was about resources. And when I found that CD, the word that he spoke over me was the word that Jim, D- Jim Dutton gave him. And when I began to pray that prayer, and I said, God, I claim that prayer. And I claim that prophecy that was over his life. And I claim that for this place. And can I tell you that the water started parting, crooked ways started becoming straight, and the high place started becoming level. And this is what, this is what the word was. And it, when he put me in this church, and he said, if it was given to me, I'd give it to you as your inheritance, is what he said. And he said, this is the word. Where I guide, I provide. And where I lead, I will feed. And I will cause resources upon resources and monies upon monies to be heaped upon this place in the name of the Lord. Listen here, this one businessman that come to see me, he was doing, he was doing 120, I think, uh, I think 120 sales per week. I just talked to him yesterday when I was on the way back. In four weeks, he's doing now 670 sales. That's exponential increase. Church, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I even told Clay yesterday, I said, I'm not, I, I told Grant, I said, I'm gonna ride with you to church. I said, call him down, I'm gonna drive at tr- church. Clay said, man, you crazy. He said, we're going to park that tr- truck right at the front. Because I'm telling you, you can't sit in this environment. It has never been about me. But if God's glory is raining down on this slick forehead, I'm telling you, he wants to rain on all of us. This is not about me. It's not about nobody in this building. This is all about a family breaking into the, into, into the pioneer territory. Greg, you drive your truck this morning. Huh? sent me a picture of his truck. When COVID hit, it should have took his business out. Come on. Am I right, Terry? It should have took it out. But he's thriving. Come on, somebody. He's thriving. Just God's just trying to break that fear off of us, saying that he's going to be with us. God, we love you this morning. Now, I ain't talking about some. I don't believe in some blab it, grab it type theology. Now I don't believe that God wants us all running around here in Mercedes. But I know this enough about the heart of God. God don't want us running around here broken in no, in no poverty either. So Father, we love you and we thank you. Oh Lord God, we love you. I honor you, Lord. Father, I pray that you fill our life with your dream this morning. God, I pray that you would bless this offering this morning. God, I pray. I thank you for the privilege. I thank you for the privilege and the blessing of God upon my life that I was able to write this check this morning. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you have forever changed my family's history, Lord God, that my children will never see a day of poverty, a day in their life, God, because of your goodness upon my family. And Lord, I bless you and I thank you for what you're doing in this region. God, I pray that you would uplift the businesses in this region. God, we pray that, Lord, 
Lord. Father, when the righteous are blessed, the city is exalted. So God, I pray the blessing of God upon this community and upon the church. God, that our city would be exalted, Lord. I pray, God, over our city this morning, God, that you would move, you would have your way, give us divine wisdom, give us strategies. But Lord, I pray this morning, most of all, for the church. And Lord, that you would allow the church to be pioneers in this region. Lord, where we've been stuck in the past, uproot the wagon wheels, God, and let us press into the future. God, I pray, baptize the church with courage. Break the spirit of fear and give us great courage and great boldness to declare the word of the Lord in this season. In the mighty name of Jesus, church, say amen. God bless you all. We'll see you Wednesday night on the live stream. We'll see you Sunday morning. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.